Welcome to Manufacturing Talk Radio, the only show that takes a look at the obstacles and opportunities open to small to mid-sized enterprises to manufacture here in America. Brought to you by All Metals and Forge Group, with your hosts, Tim Grady and Lou Weiss. Hey, guys. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Manufacturing Talk Radio, where we're broadcasting live from the floor of the exhibit hall for the ISM annual conference. This is their 99th annual conference. Next year will be their 100th. And we're happy to have back on our show Mr. Brad Holcomb, who is the committee chair who puts out the report on business. And Brad's got a couple of updates, both the uh, April number and the annual report. Brad, how are you today? I'm just terrific. Thank you. Yes, I'd like to give the audience a, a brief overview of the April Manufacturing Report on Business, and then let's segue into the spring forecast update for 2014 that we've just released this morning. That'd be great. So in April, the PMI increased 1.2 percentage points over March to reach 54.9 and has now progressively increased month over month each month since January. So not only a good number at 54.9, but certainly a good trend as well. Uh, new orders are holding strong at 55.1%, same as last month. Production is off just 0.2 percentage points to 55.7, still a very strong number. And employment is up 3.6 percentage points to 54.7. So that's very, very good news indeed. That's a big and, jump, uh, isn't it, Fred? Well, it is a big jump, and uh, we correlate with Bureau of Labor Statistics uh, information, which is already out at this point, and so we saw some good numbers uh, from them as well. And that's reflected uh, in our numbers, which uh, sort of presaged what was going to be announced by the Bureau of Labor Statistics. Now, also, uh, more good news in the April report. Uh, imports and exports are at very strong numbers. Imports at 58.0, up 3.5 percentage points. That represents imports of raw materials from around the world. And exports is up one and a half percentage points uh, over the previous month to 57.0. So it shows strong uh, commerce across the oceans, both in terms of imports and exports. And I'm hearing, Brad, uh, that uh, our exports are exceeding our imports, so our balance of trade is even improving. Yes, very good. And, and again, certainly reflected uh, in our reports. Uh, and as you as you all know, we do get uh, many comments from our panelists along with the numbers, and comments this month are generally positive with uh, certainly uh, some relief that the harsh weather, weather is behind us, and we'll have more to say about uh, the harsh weather uh, when we get to the spring update. So, again, uh, progressively increasing PMI, uh, every month this year, and that takes us to the spring update, which we, we reported this morning from the floor of the ballroom at uh, the hotel in Vegas in front of a crowd of over 3,000 
uh, procurement and supply management professionals and executives uh, and press. So here we go. In addition to monthly reports, we produce two semi-annual reports, one in December, which is a forecast for the year ahead, and then in the spring, about now each year, which is an update of the December forecast. We'd like to focus on, and we did focus this morning, on four elements of the forecast, revenue increase, capital expenditures increase, uh, prices of raw materials and where they're going or expected to go, and, of course, uh, employment in terms of a forecast uh, update for the year. So let's start with revenue. Uh, the spring update calls for 5.3% increase in revenue year over year. And let me put that in perspective. Our last update uh, or forecast in December was 4.4%, and the actual result closing out 2013 was 3.4%. So at 5.3%, we're nearly two points ahead in terms of an expectation from last year and almost one full point ahead of the original forecast from December. So I think all that is very consistent and leverages the trend which I mentioned of month-over-month increases in the PMI. Now let's move to capital expenditures, which really reflects the uh, the attitude and confidence within the financial organizations and, in particular, the CFOs of our many, many companies. Capital expenditures are expected to increase 10.3% in 2014. That's up from 8% in the original forecast. Um, and last year's result was 12.3%, also a very strong number. But again, this is 10.3% on top of last year for 2014. Well, Let's now move to... Really strong numbers, Brad. Yeah, very, very strong numbers reflecting good confidence uh, on the road ahead. Really like to see that... Uh, now in our fifth year of the recovery, starting to feel like we're standing on uh, more solid ground. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's let's cover the the last two main points from this morning's presentation: uh, prices of raw materials and employment. Uh, prices are expected to increase a modest 1.5 percent for the entire year 2014. And that's just about even with the original forecast of 1.6%. And it's up slightly from 2013, which was an extremely modest 0.9% as an actual for last year. So prices uh, are expected to be contained um, and uh, no, no uh, signs of anything like inflation uh, anytime soon. Finally, let's talk about the all-important uh, employment number. Uh, we expect now that employment will increase one and a half percentage points for the balance of this year, May through December 2014, and that compares uh, about 
even with where we ended up uh, last year at 1.7% for that same May through December time frame. Now, the original forecast for the entire year uh, stated in December was for 2.4% increase, but again, that was for the whole year, and we don't have all the pieces to sort of fit that together. So we'll focus on the number 1.5% employment increase expected for May through December 2014. So those are the highlights of the, the numbers, if you will, and of course, there are more numbers uh, concerning operating rates, um, other uh, factors within the report, and also one can find their particular industry uh, in various lists of the various uh, components so that you can see where your industry falls with respect to the whole. Well, and speaking of uh, increases, Brad, I get the sense uh, here at the show that you have seen an attendance increase uh, at the ISM annual conference. We did. Uh, joyfully, we were up about 8%, um, and uh, I think the number was uh, was close to 3,000, and many, many, many from uh, international areas of the world. Uh, as we usually do. But, yes, it was buzzing this year and uh, a very good vibe, and, and rightfully so because of where we are in the uh, economic cycle. And I know that uh, some of the um, events here, uh, some of the networking events, for instance, uh, AdTrav Travel Management Services put on a terrific event the other evening and had all kinds of goody food to eat. Um, the... Uh, uh, exhibit Hall has been uh, filled with uh, all kinds of uh, food from other exhibitors and sponsors you've had at the show. It, it's, this is really well put together. I have to congratulate ISM on, on their accomplishment. Well, and I have to congratulate them for having coffee stations along the way as well <laughs> um, because they were, <laughs> they were long days and uh, lots of activity, lots of, uh, workshops and, and training for our members, which is what ISM is is all about. And um, I'd, li I, I'd like I'm sorry, go ahead. I'd like to also uh, mention that we asked a special question in our semi-annual uh, survey uh, pertaining to the particularly harsh weather that much of the country faced in the first quarter. Uh, on manufacturing, we asked about the impact on new orders, production, and employment. And without going through all of the numbers, uh, over half said that there was really no impact. And in terms of employment, 78.5% uh, said that there was no impact. Also, where there was an impact in these factors, uh, most of it was viewed as a short-term impact, that is, that it would be made up in the balance of the year, with only a few percent uh, suggesting a long-term impact that uh, new orders production and employment wouldn't quite be made up uh, within the year. So uh, spring has sprung. Everybody had a very difficult time in the first quarter, uh, but, again, that's that seems to be beyond behind us now, and uh, for the most part, will be recovered within the year. 
Now, although you don't put together the non-manufacturing uh, segment, is it tracking similarly to manufacturing? Non-manufacturing, as reported uh, by my colleague Tony Nieves, their revenue expectation was actually uh, off a little bit relative to the previous forecast. They came in at 2.7% increase. Um, prices uh, of raw materials up 2.2%. Employment, about the same as mine, is up 1.4% uh, for the balance of the year. And so, honestly, it was a little bit muted. But Tony has said that uh, this is certainly likely to be very conservative and dynamic as we go forward. And I skipped over capital expenditures uh, just now for a reason. And that is because it's very bullish, up 10.8% mm. as a projection in the, in the big, expansive non-manufacturing area. And that's up from an original forecast of 4.6% and up substantially from where we ended up last year on that manu- non-manufacturing of 4.2%. So while some of the numbers uh, are down and, and let's say, muted and conservative, this one represents that confidence and optimism on the part of the chief financial officers and financial organizations to put 10.8% more capital in place this year, and that's a very similar number to, to manufacturing. And I think at some point uh, in the not-too-distant future, I'd like to have Tony on the show along with you, Brad, because there's got to be some interplay between manufacturing and non-manufacturing. These are certainly not disconnected in any way. Well, certainly not disconnected. And between the two of us, uh, with, with the 18 different industries that we track and 18 that Tony tracks, uh, we uh, endeavor to cover the, the breadth and depth of U.S. GDP in its entirety, and between our two reports, uh, we reflect, you know, where where the uh, GDP, where the economy is uh, at monthly points in time, and and as I said, uh, with respect to these projections as well. One more piece of, of very good news on the manufacturing side uh, that comes out of the the spring update for 2014 is that all 18 of our industries that we track are reporting growth expectations for 2014. And under my watch in uh, doing this work, that has never happened uh, in recent years. So all 18 projecting growth. Uh, On Tony's side of the house, non-manufacturing, he reported 17 uh, were, were expected to grow and the 18th one just missed it by a tenth of a point, as I recall, which was uh, the healthcare industry. And I think, uh, you know, Tony's explanation was there's just too many questions and uncertainty about healthcare and the health organization. And that uh, certainly is likely to sort itself out, uh, or hopefully over the next, you know, months and years uh, ahead. So 35 out of 36 industries reporting growth as an expectation for the year. 
feels pretty good, doesn't it? Wow, that's spectacular, Brad. It certainly has been a long uh, uphill battle to come out of the Great Recession, and I know it was a, a struggle for a lot of businesses. I'm sure whether they were in manufacturing or non-manufacturing, it's been a rough road. So, yeah, this is very good news, very exciting news, particularly to hear here at the conference. This is great. Yeah, great, great way to sort of caption off the conference and uh, send all of our people home uh, with uh, with this information to carry it back into their companies and to, you know, help us inspire uh, more of the same to come. Uh, I certainly look forward to uh, having Tom Deary on our show in a few minutes. Uh, I'm sure he'll have some terrific information to share with us. Brad, as always, I want to thank you for being on the show and sharing what I think is just absolutely vital information, more in-depth than the sound bites that you can get on the evening news. And we look forward to the May number coming out here uh, in a couple of weeks and uh, having you back on the show to discuss that one in depth. And I'm, I'm very excited about this, this uh, annual update. This is terrific information. Absolutely. And thanks so much uh, for having me on again. Oh, my pleasure. It, it, it has been a real pleasure and, and a great pleasure to finally meet you in person. We've talked uh, over the air a number of times through uh, some interesting technology, but I was glad to meet you here at the show. We're going to take a, a quick commercial break here, and then we'll be back in about two minutes with Tom Deary, who is the CEO of ISM. And that's uh, a break for now in, uh, for Manufacturing Talk Radio. When you use the Premier Rewards Gold Card from American Express, the rewards points can keep on multiplying. Buy three with triple points on airfare. Buy two with double points on gas and groceries. And a single point for pretty much every other dollar you spend on the card. Then, start choosing from over a million rewards to redeem all those points. Apply today and the annual fee for the first year is on us. Call 1-800-AXP-GOLD or visit axpgold.com. The annual fee for the card is $175. See terms, conditions, and restrictions at axpgold.com. It takes 12 years to create a graduate. It takes about the same time to create a dropout. And at the end of the day, the difference between a child becoming one or the other could be you. So United Way is asking you to make a pledge. Tutor a child who needs help. Mentor a kid who needs someone on their side. Volunteer to read to children. Because when a child advances, we all advance. Be a reader. Tutor or mentor. Give. Advocate. Volunteer. Live United. Take the pledge now at liveunited.org. Brought to you by United Way and the Ad Council. We're back with Manufacturing Talk Radio live in Las Vegas at the ISM conference. Lou, would you introduce our guest, please? Be happy to. One, we, we love being here at the ISM in Las Vegas. Uh, I'm happy to have uh, Tom Derry, who's CEO of uh, Institute of Supply Management. Uh, Good morning. Good morning, Lou. It's great to be here. It's great to have you. Uh, I appreciate your spending the time. I know your schedule is uh, makes mine look like just a, a grocery list. Uh, Tom, uh, tell us a, a little bit from you and as CEO. We, we know a lot about ISM. We've had Brad Holcomb on uh, many shows. Uh, but you give us the, uh, the executive suite view of ISM. Well, ISM, as you know, Lou, is celebrating its, its 99th year of existence uh, at this conference, and we'll be 100 years old next year in, in Phoenix, where we have our conference next year. So this is a, an organization that's uh, built an incredible reputation, right, with its interaction with the profession over that time. 
And uh, from my perspective, um, as, as uh, successful as we've been in North America and the United States in particular, um, you, need to, you need to see us become more uh, uh, pre- prevalent and relevant to professionals in other parts of the globe. Uh, we all see the same macroeconomic data, understand how the, the macro economy is shifting east. Um, we know that the demographics, so that we've got a very young workforce in Southeast Asia and East Asia. We know we've got companies that are very uh, eager to compete on, on the global stage. And we're a training and development-focused organization, so that's a great opportunity to raise the level of performance for those companies and their employees in that part of the world. Uh, I've been following ISM for years, uh, just waiting for that uh, number to come out and see how it's going. Typically, my uh, metals business that I do when I'm not doing rock and roll stuff, um, we have always tracked ISM indicating that we're a leading indicator based against your numbers. And uh, I know that uh, major corporations and presidents of countries and, uh, are all uh, on, on the edge waiting to hear which way we're going. Uh, so that, that's always been a, a great feature for, uh, for us and I know as well as others. And I understand that your uh, registration for this show is actually picked up uh, 8%, is it? Yeah, just a little over 8%, pushing up towards 9%. So I think that the word of getting out about ISM and uh, people do understand the, the, the value of the education they receive at this event. They also see the, the value of the networking. And because of our attendance up, you know, the, the networking itself is uh, increasing in quality and value. So we've got the content, we've got the opportunity to make those professional connections, and also establish relationships with their suppliers, many of them represented here. Sure. Uh, you said before that you're expanding your, your global uh, presence. Uh, how, are you, how is that going and how are you doing that? Well, that's a great question. Right now we have 12 affiliates in Southeast Asia. We've got, off the top of my head, I can I remember a few. We've got uh, three in mainland China, the two in the Philippines. Uh, we have them um, in Taiwan and uh, Japan. Uh, actually, one of our most active uh, presences is in South Korea today. And in fact, we have Outside the United States, the most number of members and the most holders of our certification are actually in South Korea. Is that right? Yeah, we've got uh, long-standing relationships with some great companies like LG and Samsung. And so we've got a good footprint, but we need to um, be more present. And, and I can't do that with a jetting over there once or twice a year isn't going to grow our business. So I think you can anticipate us building out a little bit of an infrastructure over there so we can serve those people. Internet radio might help you. That's a good, that's a good thought. <laughs> uh, actually, uh, you know, we have about 24, 25,000 uh, listeners, and, uh, uh, it, and that's growing month by month. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, I'm sure you're getting some benefit out of that. What is it, uh, and, I, and I know the ISM is not a forecaster. Uh, I've been told that many times by Brad, who <laughs> insists on saying he's not a forecaster. But from your perspective, uh-huh. an individual perspective, how do you feel about the uh, global economy as we're hearing it from many, many sources? All right. Well, I heard some good news today. Well, I mean, we can start with uh, uh, the Commerce Department report that came out this morning. It showed that uh, export. Uh, business is up for the United States for businesses, generally speaking. Imports up, but less. So the balance of trade is improving for the United States. That's very good for, for all of us. Uh, all indications are that uh, expectation of growth across, uh, as it was mentioned by uh, Tony and Brad in their report to us this morning, 
35 and 36 industries that we track at ISM have reported expectations for growth this year. Yeah, that's true. And and only only one basically is expecting what we call flat growth, right? And that's in healthcare. So uh, that's a great optimistic outlook yeah, for this country. That's, that's terrific. Mm-hmm. Uh, we ourselves, our metals company, probably are in about six or eight of them, and uh, we're seeing broad broad paint stroke. Uh, increases in everything that we're doing. Excellent. Uh, so again, we kind of tail on, uh, on on your numbers and things that you're uh, seeing. Um, the, um, the, the the ISM is changing in their in their global attitudes, and mm-hmm. you mentioned before reaching out to other uh, areas. Uh, are you in South America to any great degree, or do you have any plans for that? Well, we certainly can't ignore what's going on down there. Yeah. Um, so we're based in Tempe, Arizona, of course, and, and uh, our, our Arizona's largest trading partner is obviously Mexico. Right. Um, what we're seeing happening in that country in particular is the, the development of a pretty big advanced manufacturing sector. Mm-hmm. It began with automotives, and now it's moved into aerospace. We've got companies like Honeywell and uh, Northrop Grumman. Doing work down there, knowing that if you can if you can do advanced manufacturing at the automotive level, you can do advanced manufacturing in other sectors as well. So that's that's something that we are involved in. That many of our our corporate program members, people who work with ISM on a company to company basis, um, have us provide training and consulting work. For instance, in in Mexico, uh, what's happening in Brazil and Argentina and Chile? We need to be there. We're not there today, but uh, you, you can expect us to be growing in that region too. Well, perhaps when we're offline at some point, you and I ought to have a discussion about that. Uh, I've been down there a couple times uh, in Brazil, mm-hmm. and actually I'm going to be down there uh, in September for the uh, oil and gas conference. And uh, we've opened up a sales operation down there uh, mainly for the manufacturing and oil and gas industries, and the market's hot. Yeah, well, that's really good. The market is very hot, so we can talk about that at another time. Tom, can you give us kind of your snapshot view and what you're expressing to your members here, what ISM is all about? I know you've talked on the podium on that. So on the radio, would you give our listeners that same perspective? Yeah, I think ISM really is when it, when it um, you, you think about the, the organization and what it really delivers to its members and its customers. We're really a training and development organization. Yeah, we do education and research. Our economic research is, as we all know, very closely uh, followed and uh, very influential. Um, the, the, the content we present in terms of what's happening and best practice in the industry is very important. But we also engage more and more frequently with both individuals and their organizations around uh, what are the skills necessary to be successful in this rapidly developing profession. We've identified some high-level competencies that uh, we are critical to being successful in this role. We've dived down into very granular level of detail around you know, specific skills that people need to master, and we can map that to progression across a career. We can also map it to organizations' level of maturity in, in using procurement and supply chain practices and help them move from where they are to where they are. That's where they need to be. Okay. And uh, some of that is based on assessment work either assess individuals or, or companies and uh, determine what the baseline is. And if there's an interest, we can determine a, a plan to help them get from point A to point B. Now, you were involved in this uh, 30 under 30 program, is that right? 
Yeah, I don't qualify, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> None of us do. Uh, we had that perspective from Thomas Register yesterday. Could you give us your perspective of the program? Well, yeah. So there's a very interesting uh, demographic phenomenon that uh, is impacting our industry in particular, which is we've got uh, a, a, a large group of people who've been in the field for a long time, right, boomers primarily, and uh, they're getting ready to, to, to for their next phase of life, right? They're getting ready to exit the workforce and go off and have a good time and enjoy their enjoy that leisure. Uh, and just demographically, there's been a, a, a kind of a constriction in the labor force in that in the the group behind them. So there's actually not as many well-qualified, well-seasoned people available. Just we're just talking right. bodies to step into roles and perform at that level. And then you've got a wave of millennials coming behind them. So there's a real critical need for us to be able to help. If we've got fewer people who are going to have to perform the same tasks at the same level, right? They have to be prepared to perform uh, better. And so we we see a, a real need for uh, organizations like ISM to help people provide them with tools and with analytics so they can get the job done because there aren't going to be as many people around to do it. Right, right. Well, that's a, that's certainly a very serious challenge. Uh, what now is this? You know, as I studied uh, what was really called the age wave, and you saw the baby boomers come in, and then there was really a birth dearth after that. That's right. Exactly. Is that what we're dealing with? That, is this birth dearth? That's exactly the phenomenon, and, it, and it's a real issue. The other thing that we find is that uh, it's, a, it's a very hot field, right? And we've got, uh, there was a story in the Wall Street Journal a couple months back that said supply chain is the MBA of, the hot MBA of the moment. It doesn't surprise me at all. Uh, what happens is we get very talented young people coming into the profession, coming into a procurement or supply chain role, and then being grabbed by other elements of the business because of that expertise that they have. So I hear CPOs complain all the time about, stop poaching my people. <laughs> but it's a nice problem to be, have, really, and to be known for being a, an organization that brings the best talent into a company. So it's not a bad thing. About uh, two weeks ago, we saw an uh, article report on uh, Hudson Valley Community College that is running a special program for the millennials. Uh, and uh, training, more like a, a trade school training mm -hmm. to get them into manufacturing. Now, of course, that's up near Buffalo, New York. And here these kids are coming into school for a three-, four-year course. They haven't earned $20,000 a year in their lives. And they're coming out of the course uh, earning forty, fifty thousand dollars $50,000 a year. However, one year of being in Buffalo... I'm out of here, and they go on to other locations and leave the areas that really need the people. And you know, upstate New York, for example, has uh, been losing manufacturing for years. Yeah. This was an attempt to get manufacturing, get people working in manufacturing, and, and successfully they trained these people, and now they're leaving. Yeah. So that's a double-edged sword, and there's no way of dealing with Mother Nature on that issue. Right, I think that is an issue, but I'm, I'm familiar with other programs that are similar to that one, it sounds like. I, I heard a presentation a couple of months back about a community college just north of uh, Seattle, where they have obviously a big aerospace manufacturing base, and they're facing the same sort of demographic issues. They've got very experienced mechanics and, and engineers who are um, getting ready to leave the workforce, and there's no one there to replace them, and so they've put in a, quite a successful program, it sounds like, of providing high-quality training to these young people, and they're landing these terrific-paying jobs. People did, didn't anticipate having a, a very satisfying career and being part of a very dynamic 
you know, aerospace uh, industry, and now they've, they've found that there's a great opportunity for them to have a very fulfilling career in that field. So I, I'm not surprised at all, and I think there's a real opportunity for community colleges and technical schools to uh, fill that gap in terms of providing um, the technical knowledge that's necessary to be successful in those roles. And, and uh, the company in some ways seems to have lost sight of its historic base, right, building an economy on a manufacturing base. As we see companies bring those jobs back to, to this country or, or nearby, um, there's a critical need for people with those skills. Do you feel as though that the U.S. government is uh, doing all they can to uh, help this issue? Well, I'm, I'm sure they could always do more. I mean, President Obama has announced some manufacturing technology centers, I think nine or ten around the country, one in Chicago recently. I think that's a good first step. We need to emphasize with young people the the great career opportunities that exist in these industries, and I think that uh, we've lost sight sometime of that. Tom, uh, what kind of a shortage are we talking about? We're hearing numbers like 300,000, 600,000 vacant jobs in manufacturing. Are those real numbers? Those are real numbers, and um, from the people I talk to in manufacturing, they're, they're, they're very frustrated. They can't find young people to, with, with appropriate skills to come in and fill those roles. Uh, and these are good-paying jobs, and uh, vacancies are going unfilled by many companies. I'm aware of a technology company in Silicon Valley that uh, just can't find enough people on their production lines to produce the high products that they're producing. So it's a real issue. Everybody can't work for Google, though. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, Tom, is there anything that ISM is doing in particular to reach out to that millennial generation? I don't know, um, educate them to the fact that there are all these jobs out there. I hear people saying, oh, I can't find a job. Maybe they're looking in the wrong place. Yeah, I think that, that could be an element of it. And the 30 under 30 program is, a, is a, our deliberate attempt, partnering with Thomas Register, to highlight the opportunities that exist for young people to work in these very fulfilling jobs by identifying some of the people who are doing amazing things in these roles, highlighting their accomplishments, highlighting their prospects for becoming future leaders in this area, and uh, creating role models for young people in high school, for instance, or even junior high school, who uh, were thinking about, hey, what am I going to do? What's my career going to look like when I'm ready for that stage of life? And uh, putting out there for them the opportunity to identify these role models and say, that sounds like something I'm really interested in doing. I know a CPO of a large North American company. He said, you know, I got into this business because I, uh, I, I was in love with motorcycles as a teenager. I rebuilt motorcycles. I loved working with my hands. And he went on and got a four-year degree, and, and uh, he said, I, I loved an opportunity where I could fix things and make things work and deal with that and also employ the things I learned in a four-year undergraduate education. So that that's very exciting. If you like to travel, if you're interested in understanding uh, cultures around the world and meeting people, this is a career that provides all that opportunity. Yeah, I think uh, that's certainly one of the things that when I talk with uh, some of the folks at All Metals and Forge Group, that they're excited about because they create a product that you can put your hands on. Uh, you know, the service industry is a little different. Uh, that's a, a lot of intangibles, but in the manufacturing segment, it's a real product. You can feel it and touch it. And it, it has some kind of inanimate warmth to it. it. There's a real value in that. I mean, and there are a lot of unhappy actuaries out there. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. 
Is there anything else, Tom, uh, before we go to a commercial break here in a couple of minutes, that you would like to share about what ISM is doing and uh, this this uh, birth dearth uh, gap in employment? Well, we're, we're trying to address it through this competency-based based approach that we have for training and development so that we can help young people identify the skills that are necessary to achieve whatever that next step is for them. I like to point out that's a great way to structure a conversation with a supervisor. How do I get to that manager level or director level? And the manager can respond by saying, well, listen, at our organization, you really need to know, you know should cost analysis at this level of mastery in order to, to advance that next goal. But let's talk about how you can get exposure to that training and, and where you can pick up those skills. Um, so it's a great conversation both for the employer who's creating a higher value employee and for the young person who, who wants a roadmap laid out for him or her, how do I? What's the path ahead look for me in my career? How do I get from where I am to where I want to be? So we're really focused on that, and we think that for the people I talk to, they're very excited about that because it makes it very concrete and real. You know, I think that's important because I generally experience in talking with people about their career path that in a lot of other industries they have no clue about you know where am I going with this company. And even if they talk to management, it's, you know, how can I move up in the company? And they don't really get a direct answer. It sounds like what you're doing is is painting the path, the yellow brick road for them to follow. And that's exactly right. And, and you know, we stood, took a step back and looked at what we've been doing and, and had a, a, an important realization just for ISM itself. And we said, you know, we've been actually identifying and publishing for the benefit of the profession what competency is in this field for 40 years. We didn't think about it in those terms. We have the best overview uh, of what career progression looks like in the field. Um, we've got more data on job descriptions and organization structure than any other organization in the world in our field. And so it's not surprising that people turn to us when they have these questions. Young people, how, what does my career path look like? Organizations have questions around how do we structure to be more effective in what we're doing. And we've got data on that. So we're, we're pleased to be able to play this role. And, and uh, there seems to be an emphasis in corporate America today. Um, you know, we're, we're all getting by by doing more with less, and that includes lower levels of employment. But corporations are placing an emphasis on training their people so they can be effective in those roles. And they've also found that it's the best way to retain their talent, right? So it's not necessarily about a pay raise, but employees really value companies that invest in them and help them acquire new skills. So it really works for both sides. It helps uh, companies retain their talent and develop and grow it so it's higher value, and it helps employees see what the path ahead looks like for them. Well, I think that's really very valuable for the employees. I I certainly can... uh, uh, appreciate uh, what you're doing and when we come back from commercial break uh, maybe you'll have some information for our listeners on the type of educational programs and development programs that you have that you can share with our listeners we're going to take a quick commercial break here from manufacturing talk radio and we'll be back with you shortly when you use the premier rewards gold card from american express the rewards points can keep on multiplying by three with triple points on airfare by two with double points on gas and groceries and a single point for pretty much every other dollar you spend on the card then start choosing from over a million rewards to redeem all those points apply today and the annual fee for the first year is on us call 1-800-AXP-GOLD or visit axpgold.com the annual fee for the card is $175 see terms conditions and restrictions at axpgold.com 
The Institute for Supply Management is a not-for-profit educational association that serves more than 40,000 supply management professionals with over 150 affiliates around the world. ISM's mission is simple, to enhance the value and performance of procurement and supply chain management practitioners worldwide. They do this through education, research, standards of excellence, and information dissemination. And they also hold events like the one we're broadcasting live from today. So if any of that sounds appealing or you'd like to learn more, simply visit their website at ism.ws. That's ism.ws. All right, let's pick it up where we are here. And uh, I'm hoping that you'll give us, uh, before we end today here, uh, another bird's eye view of the uh, conference and uh, what you're seeing on the ground there. Well, I mean, it's, we're very gratified that attendance is up this year, that uh, we actually have more exhibitors uh, on the floor than we've had in the past. And, you know, we're very interested in facilitating that conversation between companies who are trying to achieve their strategic objectives and their financial objectives, and the suppliers are critical to their success. And uh, there are interesting examples. I was talking to a woman who uh, is uh, in the transportation industry, and, and they're doing some interesting things around development of natural gas engines. And uh, there aren't a lot of uh, qualified suppliers, for instance, who can maintain and repair natural gas engines compared to regular gasoline engines. So there's quite a lot of interesting work she's doing with suppliers to develop capability and technology for a growing need and alternative fuels for transportation. So that's the kind of conversation that takes place here and uh, where people can identify people who can help them get their business moving in the right direction. So uh, there's, there's been breaking economic news that we've announced at this conference. Um, we really like to think of this as the, or, the, the one time a year that you have to put on your calendar plan to be out of the office because there's going to be too many people here that you need to talk to right. and you can't afford to miss it. Uh, Tom, you talked about customers and members. What's the difference? Well, I'm really glad you asked. Uh, there are a couple of things that uh, that caused me to make that distinction. We have 45,000 members around the world, so we're a very large professional membership organization. and very, very pleased with that. But there's also a demographic change in terms of young people. We were alluding to this earlier. There have been some well-known sociological studies that pointed out in this country, for instance, that we tend not to join bowling leagues as much as we used to, right? We tend not to engage civically. The level of voting is actually down. In, in, and uh, one other way that's been manifest is that young people tend not to join their professional societies to the extent that we did, right, when we were growing up. But they will interact with that professional body when they've got a specific need. Maybe it's that skill they need to acquire or that they've been assigned a project. They need to, uh, some analysis to help them see that through. They've got some research to conduct or an analytical tool that will make them successful. So we see an opportunity for us to be a resource to young people when they've got uh, that particular pressing need right, in their job. And if we're successful in helping them meet that need that one time, they'll come back to us. And after the second or third time, I say, you know, I've gone back to ISM and it's never disappointed me. I really should be a member of this organization. So we, we think it's a customer first, member second kind of approach sometimes. Uh, and then, of course, we've got very loyal membership-based people who see the value of ISM and been with us for a long time, and we're very grateful for that. And growing. And growing. Now, are these major companies, oh, I'm sure they're major and minor you know, companies of all sizes that are your members, and their membership, does that open up 
for their employees, all of these, does it unlock the door to the training program? <laughs> That's right. That's exactly it. So increasingly, I think I alluded to this earlier, increasingly we're working with companies uh, at a company-to-company level. We have about a little over 60 companies that we work with in what we call our corporate program. And what happens is the leadership in that company has decided that uh, they're committed to a, an ongoing talent development, training and development kind of initiative, and they see ISM as their key partner in that. So it might be certification training. It might be skills, specific skill-based training. And uh, companies are coming to us uh, increasingly with uh, they're signing up their employees. They might have a 200 or 400 or 600 uh, person organization, and they're focused on raising the level of skill. I was talking with uh, very, very proud folks uh, from Northrop Grumman last night, and they, uh, they looked around and they said, this is a new CPO at Northrop Grumman, and they said, we have six members of ISM in, in our company. He said, why isn't it 600 in a 2,700 person organization they have in, in procurement and supply chain north of Bremen. Now, well, it is 600 today, no surprise. So we're delighted with that, but they, they realized that they had this opportunity to engage with ISM to raise the level of performance in the organization, and we're delighted that we've been able to help them. So the corporation becomes a member and the employee becomes a member? Well, it's actually still an individual membership. So, oh, okay. But the company is participating in the program and sponsoring the membership on behalf of, the, of their staff. Oh, great. Okay. Well, this is this is uh, uh, great information. And now, give us a perspective of what you've seen here at the show. Uh, you know, we see a large show floor, and I walk through the uh, the presentation center, which is mammoth. Um, give us your perspective of how the show is going. Well, uh, you know, I'm so busy talking to people like you that in some ways <laughs> I'm probably the last person to find out. Uh, well, but we are hearing some some important things. I mean, the, the heart of this event is 135 or so content-based sessions that we deliver to people, and I, I can tell you that um, this is there's a strategy, a deliberate strategy that we follow around identifying the most important topics and the people who are best qualified to speak on those topics for the audience. We've been pursuing that strategy for four or five years now. Uh, when I came on board, we, we had our, my first conference was in Dallas last year, and we, we look at those customer satisfaction surveys each year very carefully to understand how we're doing. And it looked like we had a real bump up, right? And uh, so the first thing I did was go to our research director and say, here's a great opportunity to keep the CEO honest. <laughs> this looks like improvement, but is it really, right? And so he did uh, what economists call a T-stat analysis, and he went back and looked at the scores that we received for people who attended those sessions and said, you know, Tom, okay, he could go out there and you can credibly say this is real improvement. It was real improvement compared to the prior year. Also, higher level of scores compared to a five-year five-year ago period. So, we're very focused. We know the people, if they're going to come here, they're very serious, even in Las Vegas, about the content, the education they're going to be exposed to. And so, we carefully track that, and it seems like our strategy is really paying off. It looks like it. Uh, I have to tell you that as we work uh, on the exhibit hall floor here, and I have to run an errand and I shoot through the casino, I don't see a lot of your people. I don't see a lot of name tags at the slot machine. Just, just don't tell the LVH that, please. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is uh, this is great. Uh, we certainly have enjoyed being at uh, the ISM conference. It's been a lot of terrific information. Is any of this, by the way, recorded and available afterwards for listening? 
well, not for listening so much, but a lot of the information is posted on our website. So if you want to see some of the content that's been discussed and, and, and some of the other news that's been created here, most of that is available on the ISM website. Uh, but it's an interesting point about the audio versions of that. Many people do prefer right. to consume their information that way. We should think about that. Yeah, I think if you think about capturing it as podcasts, they love to listen on their cell phone while they jog or wherever they may be. So that could be an interesting educational tool. I, I get a lot of value personally out of my daily commute, right, and, and using it. So I think it's an excellent idea. Thank you. You'll, well, get, you'll get the copy of the show uh, in a few days. Okay, good. <laughs> yes, we certainly That'll be our maiden effort. We certainly would love to do more with ISM ourselves and to provide you with uh, pod versions and uh, transcription versions of this show to use them as you will. We have really enjoyed having you as our guest today um, here on Manufacturing Talk Radio. Tom, hopefully you'll be able to join us at some point in the future and certainly maybe again next year. Well, I'm really impressed with the platform you've created here, and there's clearly a lot of demand. We're seeing that in your rapid growth, and we're delighted to be invited to be part of that. We think it's a great opportunity. Thank you. Great. Thank you. Thank you, and thank you to our listening audience for tuning in to Manufacturing Talk Radio. That wraps us up for today. listening to the only show that takes a look at the obstacles and opportunities open to small to mid-sized enterprises to manufacture here in America with your hosts, Tim Grady and Lou Weiss, brought to you by All Metals and Forge Group. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.